Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. I'm Danny Carraher. And today we are completing our Wes Anderson marathon, sort of, uh, for all of the movies that had previously come out um, leading up to the French Dispatch. And we're completing it with his previous release uh isle of dogs uh so we'll be talking about that here in the next segment but as always we are going to start the show by talking about some of the movies that came out this week and actually there are quite a few big name titles that have come out this week um i don't know that a lot of them are uh titles that we'd be super interested in seeing but doesn't mean that they aren't big name titles. So first one that came out this week is the Adams family two. Um, it is an animated version of the classic Adams family story currently has a 5.4 on IMDb and a 39 meta score. Um, doesn't sound like it's very good. Uh, and in a year where there are a lot of animated films that have been released this year and there are still a handful more to come out. I do not think that this is in a realm where it is going to be the type of film that's going to get nominated for uh, the best animated film category at the Oscars. I didn't see the original, so I am not interested in really seeing this at all. Um, what do you think, Danny? Well, it's just kind of too bad because you kind of want something for this Halloween season to be good and something fun for kids. But um, yeah, we got a lot of other stuff coming our way and I'm excited. Yep, I think that's all there is to say about that one. Um, another big title that came out this week is The Many Saints of Newark. And this is a Warner Brothers release, which means that it was released in the theaters, but it is also a uh, HBO Max um, release as well. And this currently has a 6.7 on IMDb and a 61 Metascore. This is a prequel to The Sopranos, which I have never seen a single episode of The Sopranos. So once again, another title that isn't very interesting to me, but it sounds like those who are big fans of The Sopranos uh, have been pretty happy with this film. Um, and I, I presume that it it does kind of live up to that, that feel for those Sopranos fans. And I haven't watched watched Sopranos either but I wonder if this is something where like you would have to watch the show to really feel like you can enjoy the movie or if the movie stands alone it'd be kind of interesting to see um this is one that I actually am interested in maybe watching especially because it's on HBO Max so I might check it out yeah and see if it makes any sense without it I mean granted we've talked about in the past that Neither of us are super into the whole mob mafia movies, the like those gangster movies. They're not really our favorite. Um, I feel like a lot of them are pretty similar. And uh, so unless I hear otherwise, I, I would probably not see this movie. Um, I don't think it is going to get nominated for Oscars, uh, which makes it a little <laughs> less stressful for me in terms of whether or not I want to see it. Um, so yeah, if you're a fan of the Sopranos, that movie did come out this week, uh, probably worth checking out if you are a fan. Um, another big title that came out this week is Venom, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. 
I never saw the initial Venom either. Uh, so I don't know that I am that interested in this. Uh, it does have a 6.7 on IMDb and a 47 Metascore. From everything that I heard, it's a pretty fun movie. Um, doesn't take itself too seriously. And uh, I, I think that if you are probably a fan of the first one, you will enjoy this as well. Did you see the first one, Danny? I saw the first one and it's just pretty goofy and uh, it's fun um, to some degree, but it's not great. And I have a friend who saw this and he said, hey, just saw Venom. It's dumb, but I think you should see it. <laughs> so, All right. um, I'll maybe have to check that out. I probably will, but it's not at the top of my must see right now. All right. Um, there was another pretty big release this week, but we're going to save that for last because we did both see that movie. Um, and uh, I think it'd be a good thing to end on. Uh, but there are some smaller titles that did come out this week. One of them is called Coming Home in the Dark. And it is a, about a teacher, I believe. It's a horror film. It's about a school teacher uh, who is forced to confront a brutal act from his past when a pair of ruthless drifters takes him and his family on a nightmare road trip. This is a video on demand release. Um, it has a 5.8 on IMDb and a 64 Metascore. Uh, if people are looking for something to watch that's brand new, that is in that horror genre, this, this could be a possibility uh, of something that might be worth uh, checking out. I probably won't see it once again because there's just too many other things I want to see. But uh, it seems kind of intriguing. Maybe just because we're teachers. That's the only reason why. That <laughs> might be the case. Yeah. So the next title we actually talked about last week, um, but this week it is getting its Netflix debut, and that is The Guilty. Uh, this is the uh, film starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and... Uh, it seems like it's kind of just a showcase for Jake Gyllenhaal. I would probably be interested in seeing this. I don't know if I will or not. Um, it may be the sort of movie that sometime next winter, like in January or February, when I'm looking for something to watch, may end up pulling it up on Netflix and watching that one. I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal has failed to be in a really good movie for a while. I mean, like he's had some good movies, but he's kind of the reason why they're good or because there's some other interesting aspect of it, but I want to see him in like some big, you know, filmmakers movie where he's doing something. I don't know. That gets a little bit more buzz. I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious if he's just trying to kind of do some different or more interesting projects that maybe he, he doesn't want to be in a film where he doesn't kind of get to call his own shots on things. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, that, you're right, though. He hasn't been in anything that's been like a huge movie um, in quite some time. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe he's just kind of this is a phase for him. And um, one of these years, he'll end up being in something that's pretty big because he is an excellent actor. And I think that um, it's probably only a matter of time before he eventually gets an Oscar. But uh, yeah, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, another movie that came out this week is called Mayday. And this was actually a Sundance film. I ended up watching it uh, and I hated it. <laughs> um, it's kind of this <laughs> fantasy film uh, that, where this woman who is a victim of sexual abuse, she like goes to this kind of 
weird fantasy place where their uh, objective is to kill men. And um, I don't know. It's just it the the motivation behind a lot of what happens in the film isn't there. Uh, and yeah, I really hated it. It was one of the films that I hated the most at um, Sundance. Uh, so I, I do not recommend it. <laughs> um, it does have a 4.3 on IMDb, 45 Metascore. I gave it a four. Uh, don't check it out. Um, the next movie on the list is called Old Henry. And this is a Western film starring Tim Blake Nelson. It had its premiere at the Venice Film Festival. Uh, it seems kind of like it might be interesting, but it is a Western and... Uh, I, I don't know that it's going to be anything overly original, but it does have a 7.6 on IMDb and a 67 Metascore. Seems uh, like it's in kind of that range that I, I would be interested in seeing it. Um, at this juncture, it, it is not on anything that I can get. Uh, and so maybe someday if it's on one of the streaming services and I just have some time, it's the sort of movie that I may check out. But I really like Tim Blake Nelson. I think that uh, he's a really good actor. Um, and and he doesn't get to star in stuff very often. Like he's not the main star in a lot of movies. And so I, I would be very intrigued to kind of see uh, what this film is like. Had you heard? Yeah, I don't know his catalog, but uh, I feel like this is the only movie I can think of where he's been a star. <laughs> it seems like there's not any other ones that I can think of right now. Um, all right. And so that brings us to the movie that we, we uh, ended up watching this week and was the winner of the Palm d'Or um, at the Cannes Film Festival. And we have been having this conversation about how to pronounce the title because I've heard it pronounced a bunch of different ways. Um, it's Titan. Is that right? Titan? Uh, I did, spelled T I T A N E. Uh, and it, this is the follow up to Julia uh, Ducorno now's debut that was from a few years back, Raw. Uh, and she likes to make horror movies and she likes to make body gore horror movies uh, that are all about kind of shocking you. Um, and this is the sort of movie that I don't really know how to tell anyone what the premise of the movie is without spoiling too much. Uh, to be completely honest, they're going into it. The less, you know, probably the wilder, more fun adventure you will go on. Um, so I'm not going to tell you a whole lot, uh, other than this is a, about a woman who when she was a child she was in a terrible car accident and she has a weird relationship with vehicles and um her, her life gets pretty wild as as the the film goes on um i this movie currently on imdb has a seven um and a 74 metascore and i gave the film a seven what'd you give it danny um I initially gave it a seven coming out of the view, the viewing um, before I kind of talk about what I think of the movie. I th think, first of all, we can't say too much. It's hard to talk about because there's so many details of this movie, just kind of the background of it's the movie itself feels like a spoiler, <laughs> you know? It does. And then the other thing I would say too, is that this is a, 
we're kind of talking about this very in a way that's very just because we want to talk about it because I, it's hard to recommend this movie to people um, just because it's it's so out there. Um, it's a story that no no one's ever seen before. <laughs> um, and uh, it's almost, uh, I can see, I mean, there's no question that this movie w- is disturbing, you know? And so that's uh, something to kind of know before you go in, you're going into it. But if you're interested in, uh, this, the concept of this movie about a woman who had a terrible accident and see kind of how, um, her life goes from that. Um, and if you saw raw, this is an interesting movie to check out for sure. Um, I actually ended up giving this an eight out of 10. I moved it from a seven to an eight. And part of that is because of, uh, this being a movie that I almost feel like is comparable to like a good book where, you could peel back so many layers from it. It's super dense in terms of what it has to offer. I think it's ultimately not a very cleanly made movie, but I think that is pretty much by design. I think there's certain choices that were made um, that make it seem that make it inaccessible, but ultimately have a lot to offer. I don't know everything that it has to say, but I know that as I've, read more about the movie and as I've listened to some other um, podcasts about the movie it's one that I feel like I have maybe reflected on and appreciated a little bit more as I've gotten away from it and we just saw it only a couple days ago but it's something that's thought-provoking and uh, an aspect of this movie that I can talk about without spoiling too much is that there's a really interesting family uh, aspect to the movie that I think um, is, is the reason why I think it's a good movie. And there's a lot of other things in the movie that are really shocking and you're never going to suspect, but if, if it was all that, it wouldn't be a good movie. It has to have this interesting relationship that's at the center of the movie to make it a, a strong film. I, I agree with almost everything that you said. Uh, I could see down the line uh, me increasing my score for this movie. Um, without a doubt, seven for me is the very base. I would never, I don't think there's any situation where I'd review this movie a few years from now and I'd want to drop it further down. Um, the, the story is absolutely wild absolutely wild and uh it's a little bit hard to wrap your head around i think at first um and you know this may be kind of a weird comparison but to the extent of i liked it and i don't know 100 percent why i liked it it reminds me a little bit of the green knight in that way um mm-hmm. where it, it there's just something really special about it um and it you can't quite put your finger on exactly what you were drawn to um, because it is just a very, very different experience. Uh, The unfortunate part for this film is that it is too out there. It is too extreme for mainstream audiences to the point where uh, I think the two main performances in this are both very Oscar worthy. And if I were an Oscar voter, I without a doubt would consider 
putting them on my ballot for nominations um, because I think both of these performance are, performances are absolutely excellent. Um, and they, I think that as we move further away or through, through a repeated viewing, I think I'll be even more impressed with some of the work that is being done. Um, a lot of the technical aspects of this film are quite good. Uh, there is a lot of body gore. If for those who are planning on seeing it, uh, there is a lot of body gore and um, the, it looks very effectively real. And I think that's part of why it is uh, a very disturbing film. Mm. Um, so the effects are fantastic. The cinematography is fantastic. I think that they did an excellent job of putting together a soundtrack that kind of fits the tone of the film. Um, yeah, I, overall, I really liked it. I, I think that uh, it, it just isn't going to be most people's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, if you've seen Raw and you liked Raw, Raw was is one of my favorite movies of the last decade. Uh, I can tell, I can say that with without a doubt. I absolutely loved Raw, um, and it, it, that that movie's a little more straightforward. Um, than this one, which I think makes it a little easier to digest and to be like, yes, I, I really like this. Um, but if you really loved that movie and kind of want to be challenged a little bit and you go in with an open mind, I think that you may find that you really like this film as well. Yeah. One other thing that I'll say about this movie is that it, and part of the reason why I think I can bump it up to an eight from a seven is there are so many really wacky shocking things that happen in this movie but you are along with the director and the storytelling the entire time that i i don't think that there was a moment that i was taken out of the movie because of a decision that was made i just kept being like oh my gosh i can't believe this is happening you know and you you and a lot of that is because of the performances but then i think also just the commitment of the director to like make that the point, you know, make every single fit decision she made so purposeful. And so that's why I almost felt like, even though the story is not perfect, it felt intentional in a way that I was like, I can't fault it for doing what it was supposed to do, you know, rather, yeah. and I might, and I might just not like the story to some degree, but I can't fault it for at least making a point to do something yeah it is very effective in that way um this movie is full of tension and part of why the movie uh it it moves forward uh so fast and a lot of that is because you are kind of waiting for something to happen and i don't want to say what that is but there's always this kind of like all right is this going to be the moment is this going to be the moment that this thing happens and uh and you just kind of keep wondering if that's going to be the moment so you're on the edge of your seat um the entire time uh because you want to know what's going to happen next uh and i think that that is a credit to um the filmmaking and and actually a fairly good concept uh to kind of push that forward even if it is a little out there and does ask you as a viewer to suspend your reality enough to to accept what what is happening uh, i know that uh 
I told Rachel about this uh, and I actually told her like some of the stuff that happens because I know she doesn't want to see it. So that's not the sort of movie she wants to see. And just as I'm saying, telling her, I'm like, well, that just sounds stupid. Yeah. Like, like you can't explain it to somebody without it sounding stupid. Um, and so, yeah, there, but it, it works in a very bizarre sort of way. Well, and uh, you kind of, you, uh, at some point during the movie, you wrap your head around it and you're like, okay, this is how it is. And uh, I'm okay with it. Well, and, and again, sorry, I keep lengthening, lengthening the conversation here, but there are certain decisions that are made in the movie that if they were to try to like justify them by explaining it away in some dialogue way, it would come off as super dumb and corny. And so they don't bother with that sort of thing. And they just let you watch a th- thing happening and experience it and then you kind of have to put the pieces together which sometimes those pieces are really hard to put together um but i think it at least leaves a interesting concept behind for you to kind of grapple with rather than just giving you all the answers and then feel like that was pretty stupid you know yeah uh so i think we both kind of arrived at the fact that we liked this film. We would, neither of us would really recommend it to anyone um, <laughs> from the standpoint of, we don't want to set you up for a bad experience, but if you are uh, willing to kind of take the risk and understand what you're getting yourself into um, and you like more challenging movies like that, where it's not is as, as uh, straightforward as, a lot of the stuff that Hollywood makes, um, then, then go see it. Uh, I, I, if you're that sort of person and you like horror movies and you like kind of some sci-fi horror type movies, um, you may end up really, really liking this film. This is also the type of movie that if you say you like it, it probably says more about you than it does about the movie. (laughs) (laughs) That is probably correct. That's fun. Um, it's good to have those movies every once in a while. Yep. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up our conversation on um, our films that came out this week. Uh, so when we come back from this break, we are going to start to unpack uh, the last of Wes Anderson's previous films, Isle of Dogs. And so stay right there. And we are back and we're looking at uh, the last of our Wes Anderson marathon before we see the French Dispatch, which is coming out later this month. And that is Isle of Dogs. I'm excited to talk about this because you, Rob, haven't seen this yet. And so you're getting a very we're getting a pretty up to date reaction of uh, of this movie. And so I'm excited. Um, Isle of the Isle of Dogs is a movie. That's about an outbreak of dog flu, and it is spread through the city of Megasaki, Japan, which is a fictional city that Wes Anderson has created. And Mayor Kobayashi has demanded all dogs to be sent to Trash Island. On the island, a young boy named Atari sets out to find his lost dog spots with the help of five other dogs with many obstacles along the way. Uh, We've been kind of setting up each one of our reviews of the Wes Anderson movies with a review that came out at the time of the movie's release. Um, We started out with Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert passed away 
um, obviously before this movie was released. So I picked a, a, a review from a, a critic named Mark Kermode, who is a British um, uh, film critic, and I've liked a lot of his uh, his reviews in the past. So I was curious to see what he said. And he wrote this for The Guardian. He said, having been underwhelmed by Wes Anderson's previous animated feature, Fantastic Mr. Fox, in which the universality of Roald Dahl's source succumbed to a whiff of arc adult smugness, I approached this latest stop motion epic with trepidation. Indeed, the very concept, sick dogs abandoned on a Japanese garbage island, seemed so self-consciously quirky that at first I thought the teaser trailer was a hoax. Yet Isle of Dogs is a delight, funny, touching, and full of heartfelt warmth and wit. So Mark Kermode was positive on this movie overall. I, I believe he gave it four out of five stars, and we're getting it fresh from whenever you saw this i'm curious to know how recently you saw this and um what what did you think of isle of dogs um i literally just saw it today um and so i it's very fresh in my mind <laughs> um i entered this viewing experience with a couple of things number one um, there was some excitement in seeing this because it, it on kind of the back of seeing all these other Wes Anderson movies again, um, being one of the only ones that I hadn't seen, it's kind of fun that I got to finish off this marathon with a movie that I hadn't seen yet, um, beyond the French dispatch, which we will see here in a few weeks. But, uh, I think I think that that made things a little bit interesting because I was able to view this kind of through the lens of everything else that we we already know from Wes Anderson, um, which wasn't the case for the, the other movies because of various different reasons. Um, but I also kind of went in thinking that I may not like this as much as some of the other the other movies that he has made and upon watching it i actually liked it quite a lot uh i ended up giving it an eight out of ten um and the thing that i think was kind of more interesting to me was that this really felt like the first time that wes anderson was trying to make a political statement um and try to say something beyond i mean he, he did it a little bit i think with the grand budapest hotel he maybe did it a little bit with fantastic mr fox um but this one it's very clear that he is trying to make a statement uh about um politics and the way that politics work uh it's not so like the message isn't just absolutely shoved in your face like when the film ends you do not feel as though he has pushed some agenda on you but it is very very clearly about uh the way that governments work and um whether or not governments have too much power and mm -hmm. uh i i felt that, that was a very very interesting critique from wes anderson mm -hmm. um i think one of the things that I found even more interesting is due to the plot of this film, 
I think it's interesting to watch in a post uh, pandemic uh, environment. And I think that I interpret it in a different way because I watched it now rather than when the film was released. And we, we didn't think about a lot of uh, the role that a pandemic plays in how we view each other. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think this, this has probably more meaning today than it did when it actually was released in, in, I think it has some interesting things to say, uh, that it didn't have to say previously because of the environment that we are currently in. Um, so I, I have really appreciated that aspect of getting to watch the film for the first time today. Yeah, I totally was thinking the same thing with this being a very different experience to watch in a diff- uh, the post-pandemic world. And we can get into that a little bit later. Um, I think that you're right that this is in some ways is a metaphor, but it's not a metaphor for a specific event or a specific group of people. And if it was, then it would become a kind of problematic movie, I would say. Um, it's more just a, a way to talk about how uh, power in the wrong hands is detrimental to people in, or members of the community. And uh, yeah, and th- obviously with this being about a dog flu outbreak and uh, them quarantining animals because of this, uh, that played an interesting role. Now, this movie came out in 2017 or 2018. Can't remember. Uh, 2018. Um, which is still, you know, following the Trump election, which I don't think that this is, again, a response necessarily to Trump being president. But that's also another aspect that I think a lot of people were thinking about um, when this movie came out because of just what's been happening. Obviously, with this being stop motion, it had taken a while to create and he'd been developing it even before we knew that Trump would be elected. Um, But I think that that has uh, another interesting way to kind of look at this. Um, I do want to start to kind of look at the movie from different levels. Um, I don't know if I said yet, but I I also gave this an eight out of 10. And a huge part of that for me is just, I think how much he um, took it even a step higher from what he did with Fantastic Mr. Fox in terms of the animation. Let's just start with talking about the animation in this movie. What did you think overall? The animation is absolutely mind-blowing in this movie. Um, The designs that he has for uh, almost every single shot that this movie has is top-notch, which is exactly what we expect from Wes Anderson at this point. Um, because that's where he is at his absolute best. Um, but I, uh, in on here's here's the thing. I have not seen uh, Into the Spider Verse yet, and I don't know why I haven't seen it yet because I really want to see that movie. But that that movie won Best Animated Film um, the year that this was nominated. But I think this would have been a worthy winner because of just how intricate the design of this film is uh Mm -hmm. it is absolutely gorgeous um many of the uh 
scenes are very layered, um, which, you know, for a stop animation type set is quite impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, I think that it definitely took a step up from Fantastic Mr. Fox. I just think there's more detail um, in many instances. There's a lot of characters that they had to create um, mm -hmm. for like a big mass uh, view of people. And um, yeah, it, I, th there is, I have no, no critique over the design of the animation in this film, mm -hmm. because I think it is absolutely top notch. The other thing too, that I thought was interesting and maybe is happening in Fantastic Mr. Fox and I don't recognize it, but I think he's using different styles of animation within this movie. There's times where they, because a lot of it has to do with media coverage as uh -huh. well. And there's times where a character is on TV and that TV screen is, is an illustration, I believe, a yeah. lot of the time. And so playing in, in the way that's incorporated is so seamless. I think that, um, and I know this got attention following the real original release, but there's, there's the sequence where um, they're preparing sushi and just how that is that that sequence and it, it's so it feels so small in terms of the overall story but that's a really good sequence and then I think also um the something that I was struck with after originally seeing it and I remember was a big standout to me was the the how many backdrops there were for different parts of this story because this compared to fantastic mr fox this takes place in a lot of different places yeah because the story is always moving yeah. essentially and so you need to have a lot of really interesting sets for these uh, clay animation characters and so i i thought that was just and is it clay is is that what they were using i know that they use some fur and stuff for the dogs but yeah, I, I think it is. I'm not 100% sure, but I it, it seems like it would be clay, or at mm -hmm. least uh, that is what it is meant to look like, I think. But yeah, with the fur for the dogs, that's a whole other thing. And the, he continued to build on uh, one of the things that I love the most about Fantastic Mr. Fox is that that fur moves. Um, mm -hmm. And like that's just such a small detail that if he didn't do it, I wouldn't notice that he's not doing it. And I wouldn't hold that against him for not doing that. But like, just like fur moving in kind of the wind or the air, um, that is such a, a it's, it's almost an unnecessary detail, but you have to give him so much credit for mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, I'm going to make this a part of the way that this looks. And yeah. uh, it, it it just makes it that much more real. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we should definitely talk about the cast sometime soon here because that's a really important aspect. But before we get to the cast, I want to do spend some time talking about the story because uh, this is um, like, I would say most Wes Anderson movies, there is a some interesting aspect to the story that seems kind of otherworldly in a way that doesn't seem like it would necessarily happen and of course this is one in which the main characters are all dogs and so that's kind of how we're following it um i know that this is a movie that has faced some criticism because of the way that it feels like wes anderson is 
um, kind of using Japanese culture as a kind of prop for his storytelling. And I think that there's some validity to that argument. They, there's also people that will say, this is such a, you know, Western centric uh, movie because this is a different experience if you are watching it in any other language because the translation of English to Japanese is such a uh, important aspect of the movie itself and how the dog speaking in English is purposeful so that it's not, they're not easily able to communicate in Japanese with the, um, with the uh, Japanese characters in the movie. And so there's some messiness with that as part of the story. Um, but I am curious to know how much it stood out to you or how much that bothered you, or if that was something that you felt like worked. Well, um, I think there are certainly some problematic things. And we've talked about this in the past with that Wes Anderson, that he chooses a certain backdrop and um, in a way it is kind of cultural appropriation. Um, and uh, I think that that is a little bit problematic. I think that this flirts with being almost more problematic because it is in Asian culture as the backdrop and it is a critique on a certain type of government um, that here in what in the western part of the world I uh, somewhat ignorantly we have negative views of governments that are taking place in some specifically China and even though this isn't a set with China as the backdrop um, I think that for a lot of Americans to kind of tie make those ties between japan and china i think can be a little bit problematic um mm -hmm. and in a way i it almost would have been more effective to me to uh have this be an american backdrop and have this be an american type government that that is uh essentially a communistic because uh, I, I think that is ultimately kind of what the critique is here. It's very mm. communistic in the way that they are operating. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a problem. Now, here's what I did like. I think that I understand why he maybe chose this as the backdrop because it allowed him to do some different scenery that he has never done before um, and explore a different part of the world that he has never explored before. But I really actually liked, and this is as an English speaker, and I understand this isn't going to work in the same way in other countries, but as an English speaker, um, the fact that they chose to portray the humans almost entirely in Japanese without subtitles was a very interesting choice. Um, and I... I haven't completely unpacked everything that that can mean, but uh, I, I think it has something to say by not including the subtitles there mm -hmm. um, and allowing us to kind of view this almost entirely through the viewpoint of these dogs, mm -hmm. um, which is 
pretty interesting. Um, and I, it was definitely risky. And uh, like you said, obviously this isn't going to have the same payoff that it would in the United States in Japan, because they know exactly what they are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope at least that they're actually speaking Japanese, but we, I guess we don't actually know, but I would presume that they are. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I, I think this movie, it's kind of, it's the sort of movie that it has layers, but the, if you do peel those layers back too much, things start to fall apart a little bit. And one of those ways is that, you know, it is feels so purp- purposeful to have the dogs speaking a different language than the humans in the story. But at the same time, the dogs are speaking the same language literally as the American humans in yeah, the story. Yeah. And so what then then if we're trying to read it in any way, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Does that mean that is he is what I mean, this is gets into we're getting into the weeds in this, but that's where the threads start to fall kind of apart and things kind of unravel. Is is there is he saying something about the connection between Americans and dogs? Are we representative uh, represented by the dogs, you know, and uh, what does that say about the relationship between Japan and the United States? And uh, so I, this is this is the type of movie that I had to t- kind of tell myself I can't read too deeply into because then I don't I don't think he wants that to be the case. I don't think he, again this is not a metaphor for anything. He's just telling a story where dogs happen to be the main character and they are are loosely supposed to represent. Um, a kind of uh, marginalized group, you know, and that's, that's it. I don't think we're supposed to make anything else of it. And so I agree. Yeah. And so that's pretty much where I stand on the story. I think that it has some problems, but something that I think, at least in terms of the relationship story writing, the uh, character that is voiced by Brian Cranston is such a great character for, to drive the story and to get you invested and i i think that part of the story really works and that's something that wes anderson is always good at is writing these kind of stunted emotionally stunted characters who have some sort of deeper problem and how they relate to others is what makes them interesting and that's that's a quintessential that's just like steve zisu that's just like royal tenenbaum that's just like any of the other major male uh, characters in his movies you know and i think that that brings up a really good point and this kind of goes back to the story a little bit i think that obviously these are very closely related um but maybe more so and it's interesting because it's being told through the viewpoint of dogs but maybe more so than in almost any of his other stories the problems i think are more relatable to the average person in this movie than some of his previous films um, because uh, it does, this, this film is very much about um, alternative experiences and how uh, the individuals, whether they're human or dog in this film, um, they, they each have different perspectives that they're seeing their environment through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think more of those perspectives are, relatable in this film than some of his other his other films that he has made which is interesting because they're mostly dogs that we are right. uh, following the perspective of 
but their their uh, their needs and their desires are so fundamental because it's about survival. It's about what you fulfilling kind of who you are, you know, rather than uh, it being some kind of obscure oceanographer and Steve Zissou, yeah. who no one can really relate to, you know, we can relate to somebody who has had uh, a problems with abandonment, you know, feeling like they aren't part of a pack or part of a, a, a group of people or doesn't feel that connection to a human. And so I think you're really right that weirdly enough, these are some of the more relatable characters in, in any Wes Anderson movie. And um, I think that then we can move more into the cast here because I know you started to move there. But I think that the whole uh, evaluation of the relationship between man and dog is really, really important here. And I think that it makes it um, you attract you're attracted to it more because Mm -hmm. that is something that we are very conscious of uh, as individuals that. we, we have a very unique relationship with dogs that we don't mm-hmm. have really with any other animal. I mean, you could maybe say that cats are in that same realm, but dogs are just on a different level. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to an extent, that being the basis of the story, I think makes it for somebody who maybe doesn't like Wes Anderson that much. I think this movie is more accessible because of that it is something that they can relate to and people Mm -hmm. relate to their pets and um sometimes more so than other human beings and uh and so that's a really interesting aspect to be able to kind of uh view this film through through that sort of lens Mm -hmm. i i think it's interesting too because we have neither one of us have has a dog and i wonder if we had a dog would we like be in love with this movie <laughs> you know would we see it in a different way and um i i because that the thing that i'm struck by that actually is kind of heartfelt about the movie is seeing the way that uh the other dogs in the kind of main five pack you know pack of five dogs the ones that not Brian Cranston's character, but the other ones, the way they respond to Atari as a character and they sit when he tells them to sit and they take that. They, there's almost a pride in being a dog that listens to a master in a way, which is a, another interesting, um, you know, it feels so subservient, but at the same time, there's a, there's a respect almost in the way that they're doing it. And a, a, it feels like it's what they want, which is, again, it feels subservient, but it's interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that's very true. And um, in, in the way that they're willing to go on this journey because they recognize how much that relationship means mm-hmm. uh, for this person, Atari, to be able to be reconnected with his pet. And I mm-hmm. think that that's a, uh, it, it, it's an interesting aspect of this story. Well, um, let, let's talk about uh, some of the voice acting that goes on here. Um, and we already brought up Brian Cranston, which is, I think, what we, I think we both kind of consider that to be the main role in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in typical Wes Anderson fashion, he kind of rotates that main role 
um, to a new actor uh, almost every single time. It's somebody that hasn't really stepped into that role. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but I think he does a fine job here. Um, one thing overall, though, this movie compared to Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think that we kind of have to compare those two the most. We can maybe start to compare it to some of the other characters, but because they're just a voice connected with a, a uh, certain character, um, it, it makes more sense to compare those two films. And this is far more an ensemble um, performance than Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, even though there are a lot of different characters, I feel like there are more main characters in the other one and they definitely have distinct personalities. Mm -hmm. I don't think in this, I think everybody was fine in this movie, but overall it didn't seem like there was a voice performance that really stood out to be to me as being exceptional like there was in fantastic mr fox i thought in fantastic mr fox both george clooney and um why can't i think of his name he does the voice of his son jason Schwartzman. i think they are both fantastic in that in that if there was somebody else in that role um, it wouldn't be the same in those rules. I don't think it would be quite the same. I think that they add an element to that. I don't know that I feel that way about this film. In fact, some of the voices are very similar in this film. And, uh, I, I, I'm not so sure that it mattered, uh, as much who the person was, um, despite the fact that they did do a good job. Yeah, I agree that I think everybody did a good job, but there isn't any standout. And maybe that's more to do with the writing than anything else. But I think you're right that it, they don't, none of, none of the characters really get a moment uh, that really stands out. Um, I will even go as far to say that I feel like they probably could have cut one of those main five dog characters because the Jeff Goldblum character really stands out to me. Uh, because he's the one. Did you hear the rumor? You know, which is yeah. which is a hilarious reoccurring bit. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you need the uh, Ed Norton character because he's kind of the the challenger of the Brian Cranston leader of the group. But then the Bill Murray and then the uh, Bob Balaban character yeah. are kind of they don't seem that distinguished, and so um, and they're still interesting and add their own kind of unique. Thing to the story but I I almost felt like it felt overcrowded in that way and there's other places where the story feels overcrowded the the, the uh is it the oracle and yeah. the Jupiter who yep. like they're kind of added in and that could almost be one character you know what I mean and it's interesting that the, I like the the, that it's a pug that's the oracle and the pug can understand the tv and that's how they're getting their visions which i think that's a funny moment but um i don't know that it, it that's just another example where i felt like it was just overcrowded and maybe didn't need all of the the characters in it but um I, what i'm curious to know and th this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler but um what did you think of, and sorry, we're going back towards the story aspect of this, but what did you think of the sequence where um, it's, it's Atari and then Chief who gets separated from the rest of the group and then they kind of start 
we start to see Chief change as a character. What were some of your reactions when, they, especially when he gets bathed? Because you kind of there's a reveal there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I that honestly that is where the heart of the movie is. Um, and without that portion, it probably isn't as good of a movie because that is when you start to really buy into these characters and you recognize that both of these characters up to this point are kind of, I don't know, you you kind of have this distance from them. Um, and in fact, they're either more neutral or possibly even more negative characters up until this point. But then they start to kind of reveal themselves as being um, multifaceted and be a more well-rounded type of character that uh, shows some nuance to who they are. Um, it, specifically, well, we uh, it's obvious with the chief character because it, he kind of does a 180 here where he kind of goes in the other direction. Um, but with Atari, Atari, it, it shows kind of that human um, aspect of the relationship with animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really cool, cool concept to have them kind of move off and develop this relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously we won't say anything more there, but um, yeah, it, that, I think that is kind of where the heart of the film is. Right. Um, and, and, and I guess in terms of, uh, standout moment that's why brian cranston is kind of the main character in this movie and that that really stands out now there's other voice performances from actors like francis mcdormand and, and greta gerwig um we also get f murray abraham in this tilda swinton plays the pug um were there any side uh voice performances that, that were smaller roles that were particularly um interesting to you or fun or stood out uh there are two that i think kind of stand out to me um first i think uh the francis mcdormand character is interesting um first of all it's clearly her but it was also she's playing like an english-speaking asian person and that could be a little problematic that they cast somebody who's not Asian to play that role. Um, I know it's just a voice, but even still, uh, in a way that sort of bothered me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think she does a great job. Um, and actually, it's probably one of the few human characters that have a ton of personality. Um, and she actually adds some good comic relief at times, um, mm -hmm. just as the translator. Uh, which I think is interesting. Um, and then uh, I actually thought Greta Gerwig was really good in her role. Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of a spastic character, um, mm -hmm. which allowed her to stand out, I think, a little bit more um, than some of the other characters. But those were the two that really kind of stood out to me beyond uh, Brian Cranston um, that I thought were like, it, it clearly they put a spin on those characters that mattered to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it it kind of is a, an example of how uh, 
Wes Anderson is able to make even small characters really shine in movies. And um, that's something that's true of um, my favorite directors, the Coen brothers. I think that they are kind of the, the masters of the small character um, or the character that's in it for only one scene. And they really make it count. And I think that he, this, he's doing that in this movie as well. Um, there's also a performance from Lee Schreiber, who uh, he plays a, a, a really important role, but it's fairly small. And I, again, it's hard to say that that's a, it's a standout performance because it's just there's nothing that it could almost it could almost be anybody that played that role. Yeah. So um, I agree. Let's I want to one thing that I wanted to bring up before you can kind of take this in, in any, any direction that you want is uh, this is an interesting Alexandre Desplat uh, score because he is kind of moves away from what he is really comfortable with, which is a lot of uh, melodic piano uh, based stuff that, or kind of light strings orchestration. And he leans into um, percussive uh sounds as particularly those drums which are featured in the movie itself with the deep boys playing the drums at the beginning and the end of the film and i think that um adds a lot to the kind of ambiance and the feel of the movie and so th this is the sort of thing where i'm comparing it to his other work and i'm just like wow this is i i feel like sometimes he can be repetitive with his work and this felt very different um, I think it's an interesting point to bring up. And in fact, uh, the score is actually the area where I felt like it left maybe a little bit more to be desired because I expect a little bit more, um, I guess, in your face score where it's very noticeable. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't feel like it was a very noticeable score. In fact, I, that, that is an area that I felt was a little bit lacking. I think that uh, you make a good point that it is interesting to see um, something different uh, here. But uh, that that is where I think about like Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think has a pretty good score. Um, and mm -hmm. where that film ends up being a little bit more superior um, mm -hmm. is in that area. So like, if I'm looking at the, cause in general, I always think that maybe, um, Wes Anderson's films in terms of acting is slightly lacking because the characters don't allow for, um, these fantastic performances. Mm -hmm. And so I think that generally when I'm looking at a Wes Anderson film, uh, my expectation is that we're not going to get some award worthy performance and so i know that going in um but one of the areas that i think he is always very strong um in is his his score and mm -hmm. that just was i think this is probably hit one of his weaker scores at least in the second half of his career um and uh i understand it was a risk i think that he was taking a risk here and it, you're right. It does fit the tone, I think, but uh, it doesn't stand out. Doesn't stand out. Doesn't yeah. stand out. I agree with that. And you know, Wes Anderson's pretty known for throwing in some song from like the '70s or '60s, and uh, he has, I think, one that he kind of uses a couple times. But other than that, I don't know that he's using 
very much very many soundtrack songs yeah this it's a little different in that way compared to some of the other films um where he does lean a little bit more on that um i don't have a whole lot else to say about this film unless you had something else that you really wanted to talk about I, I have nothing else either. I mean, I mean the main, my main takeaway this time was, and uh, I think maybe we didn't talk about this as fully as we, we could, but um, was just viewing it from the perspective of the world we live in after a pandemic. And uh, something that I was struck with was the character who, uh, Mayor Kobayashi, after he's kind of been appealed to towards the end and you sense that there's a change of heart, there is um, people, there's a sycophant that kind of continues to carry out the original plan. And, um, you know, I was reflecting on how much it's the people in power that we're concerned about but it's because we know that they have the power to influence other people. Yeah. That is, is the issue. And that was an interesting thing that I kind of tapped into this time around thinking about, you know, it, it's, it's not just one person that you need to kind of get rid of. It's not just one person that you have to um, defeat. It's a movement often, or it's a, uh, a, a belief within your uh, community that you need to kind of get away from. And so that is an interesting yeah. aspect of the movie. Yeah. Um, definitely kind of the political climate that we are currently in. Um, I think there are uh, correlations that you can draw uh, upon as, as I was watching this um, I think a lot as a teacher and I think about if, if I were to teach a English class that is partially literature and partially film, um, that where you kind of bring two things that aren't exactly the same together and have the opportunity to kind of discuss them within the same realm. I feel like this is the sort of movie that you could pair with a text like The Crucible or a text like 1984 and have some really interesting things to say um, that, that uh, this is making a commentary on um, mm. that those, those texts both also are making commentaries on in, in slightly different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like I said, more than any other Wes Anderson film, um, I was really struck by uh, how much commentary was actually there um, and that he kind of maybe felt the need to say something or as uh, previously it seems like he's more interested in the characters mm -hmm. and less in the situation. Well and then it, some uh, last other part of this is that there's a whole aspect of this movie that's that's about people delegitimizing delegitimizing scientists yeah and the yep. work that scientists have done um and that is by far the most on the nose aspect of watching it in a post-pandemic world i mean i know we're still part of the pandemic but i mean 
in a post after the since since the pandemic has begun and so um yeah and on that note that is something that i am fully expecting to be something that we see in the french dispatch because of how much that movie is plays a, a focus on journalism i don't know if it's going to be as political but i think how we think about the role of journalists can't be seen in any other context other than what's happened over the last four years. I think you're right. And that brings up a good point. Even in this film, there is a little bit of commentary on journalism. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I picked up on that and I made that same connection where I thought, well, this is interesting because his next film is, uh primarily about journalism yeah and uh he already has chosen to kind of make a commentary on journalism with this Mm -hmm. film so yeah i i believe that um there will be maybe some intentional commentary but also unintentional commentary just on the basis of the film being about journalism right yeah so i mean this is a almost maybe a movie that bridges the gap between some of his other movies because we've seen so many character driven pieces that this does feel so ensemble driven and so clearly about a political thing that this might very well set up French Dispatch really well for us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing French Dispatch. I know that it probably hasn't received the buzz that uh, really could have gotten me excited, but just I, I think we are both probably confident going into the French dispatch of knowing exactly the sort of movie that this is going to be. Um, and that there is a range that this movie is going to fall within. Um, and it, it, I think both of us will walk away enjoying it um, simply because we know who Wes Anderson is. I'd be very mm-hmm. surprised if it was so different to the point that I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lowest score that I have got given so far was a six and that was his very first film. And a lot of the reason that I gave that film a six is because a lot of the elements that makes Wes Anderson great weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and those elements we already know are in this film because we've yeah. seen trailers, we've seen um, stills from the French dispatch knowing that, yeah, this is his, this is who Wes Anderson is. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, great movies coming out this month. So I'm excited. Yeah, this is going to be a jam-packed month. Um, as we kind of wrap up the show here, I do want to give you a preview of what the next month is going to look like. Um, so next week, we are going to be looking at No Time to Die. Uh, which is the new James Bond film. And uh, this is the last of the Daniel Craig Bond films. And so we'll probably do a little bit of a recap of some of the other films and talk about what we liked from uh, his five films that he did. Um, And I I presume that we'll have similar opinions on them, but uh, it will give us an opportunity to talk about some of those. I think Lamb comes out this upcoming week too. And so I may try to catch that because I'm really interested in that movie. And so maybe we can talk about that a little bit as well. uh, If both of us end up getting a chance to see that one. Um, 
Because I think that we're going we're gonna, now in a time period where even though we're going to have a focus for every week, what film we're going to review, there are going to be a lot of other movies that maybe aren't as big of titles, um, but that we're really excited about. And so we'll, we'll make time to kind of talk about a few of those because uh, we'll surely see them. Um, we're going to be at the movie theaters a lot over the next few months. Um, so, yeah, next week we'll do No Time to Die. The following week is The Last Duel. And I know initially you weren't that excited about it. Have you kind of started to change um, whether or not you be, you're interested in this one? Yeah, I mean, people are saying they're here. They're saying really good things about it. Um, we are, we've talked about this before. We're not as hot on uh, uh, Ridley Scott as other people are. But uh, this is a cast that's to be excited about um, with... Uh, both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing. This is an exciting moment because they haven't written together since Goodwill Hunting. Uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of promise. And I think whether I think it's great, that's to be determined, but I think I'll enjoy it, hopefully. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I think I'm kind of in the same boat there. Um, but I think it, that because it will have some Oscar buzz, um, I think this is a good one for us to focus on for uh, October 17th. Um, and then the following week is a very big week. So we're going to do two episodes that week because I think each of these films deserve to have their own episode. So we're going to do Dune, um, which I know is your most anticipated film of the rest of the year. Um, and so we want to make sure we give a lot of time to talk about that. And don't feel rushed. Mm -hmm. um, and then the French Dispatch comes out that week as well. And so we'll do our review of that film. But then I think we'll spend a little time kind of going back through all of the films that we've been watching, try to rank them and kind of talk about uh, some of the standouts for for each of those films that make them stand out from maybe each other film in within the, mm -hmm. that sequence. Um, so that's that's going to be kind of the month. Um, the weekend of Halloween the uh last night in soho comes out that week i know both of us do want to see that i think maybe we're a little um we've, we've cooled off on this film a little bit since uh people have seen it and we've seen a new trailer that kind of i think has cooled things off for us a little bit um, but that weekend i am going to be out of town so i think we'll probably take that weekend off um, and take a break before we get into November because November and December, I think we're going to want to hit it pretty hard um, mm -hmm. uh, every week and make sure that we cover everything that is coming out at that time. So um, that kind of wraps up uh, what October is going to look like, but there's tons of stuff that we should be excited about. Um, there are going to be some smaller titles or maybe not so much smaller titles, but uh, more limited release titles it will be coming out over the course of October as well. And so we can talk about a few of those. Um, but I'm, I'm real excited. I think that we are now absolutely here. Uh, whereas yeah, we keep talking about how it's like right upon us. I think we're now in it. And um, yeah, we're going to have some big time movies to talk about. I'm super excited about it. If you want to let your freak flag fly, go ahead and see Tatan this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because uh, it's a wild ride. Yeah, I, I guarantee you will have never seen anything even remotely close to that film. So um, maybe you're up for the adventure. 
Um, and if you haven't seen Isle of Dogs yet, uh, I think both of us would recommend seeing Isle of Dogs. Um, so until next week, have an absolutely great week. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.